0: So you remember this teaching remember this story uh, this week was a it was tough text for me and, and so uh, I, I really struggled with it there, there's actually like there's so many different layers of this text uh, I, I was really kind of pulled in in some different directions and so uh, as I was as I was searching kind of praying through this text I, I came to, to really three points and uh, I'm not smart enough to have three points but I have three points. For, for today's teaching, for, for today's sermon. And these are very holy, sacred points. I want you to hold on to them closely. Uh, all right, so here here are the three points for today. Uh, and we'll, we'll go through this. Point number one is don't be tardy for the party. Uh, point number two is just take your blank pills. And uh, point number three is no days off. All right, is that what you got out of that text? Awesome, me too. Good. um. Don't be tardy for the party. Uh, Last week, if you were here, we talked about Jesus and his encounter with a Samaritan woman. You guys remember this. And so this is one of those contextual pieces of Scripture. So in in at least the Jewish mind, there's no such thing as a good Samaritan. The Samaritans had had left the faith. They had had disqualified themselves from from true belief in God. They, They had intermarried. They had become impure. They'd even built their own temple. And the fact that Jesus doesn't go around Samaria but enters into Samaria is this incredibly taboo idea. He speaks to a woman. He's speaking to a Samaritan, none of which a rabbi, much less a Jew, would have done. Next, if you follow along in in text, maybe if you're following along in our reading guide, the next thing that happens is that Jesus meets a government official. Now, maybe that didn't raise anything in your brain, but uh, probably meant a Roman official. At this point in time, Israel, the people of Israel, are, are living in a land that has an occupying army over it. The Romans occupied this territory. It's, I mean, maybe a comparison to the Nazis might, might be fair. And so when it says a government official came to Jesus, this is like a big deal. And, and it doesn't mention this in the text, but the government official walks 20 miles to find Jesus because his son is sick and, and about to be on the, uh, the point of death. And Jesus has this whole interaction with the enemy. You see that? Like with the bad guys. Which nobody, you know, had anything nice to say. If you're, especially if you're a Jew, you don't have anything nice to say or anything nice to think about the Romans. You you don't want them in your country. You don't want to follow their rules. They're going to defile the temple. They're going to do all of these horrible, atrocious things. Yet you know, Jesus has an interaction with them. And then the next story in this sequence is the invalid by the pool of Bethsaida. Um, this is an archaeological site. You can, go and, you can go and visit it today. And uh, in, in the ancient Near East, in their world, like they did, it wasn't hard for them to imagine that the world was full of, of uh, um, kingdoms and authorities, is what the text calls that, but spiritual forces. They believed that there was good and evil forces at work, at play, all the time, um, which actually is probably a, a good belief that we don't necessarily hold today. But the, what happened with the pool of Bethesda uh, uh, was that, uh, or at least the belief is that an angel would appear and with the tip of the angel wink would stir the pool. And then it's like cannonball fest. First one in gets healed. Gets healed of, of whatever di- disease or infirmity that they happen. And, and so what happens is lots of the poor and the, or the sick and the invalid are, are lined up around this pool. So that kind of sets the scene, right? And here Jesus comes in, and he meets this invalid who's been sick for how long did it say? Did you hear? 38 years. And has this really incredible discourse with him. Now, we're going to get deeper into this. Um, So what you need to know is as an invalid, as unable to get into the pool, as having some sort of sickness or disease, at least in the Jewish mind, that would have made him impure or unclean which would have excluded him from worship. For how long? 38 years, yeah, like a long time. Now, what's fascinating about these three stories and how they all fit together is that the Samaritan woman, the government official, and the invalid are all outsiders, right? The door to faith, the door to a relationship to God, the door to what God has to offer was closed to them. They had zero opportunity or chance at the kind of life that God really offers. And in the Jewish mind, in the, in the, in, and especially the religious elite uh, of the Jewish community, they would have always considered themselves first in line, Right? Uh, They were first in line for God's promises. They were first in line for God's blessings. And in the Jewish, especially the Jewish religious elite mind, they would have been the first in line to get in the pool. Are you with me? Uh, Just a side note, that's a really incredibly dangerous way for Christians or religious people to think. Right? That somehow you're lined up in front of others, and they have to wait their turn. Anyway, then comes Jesus, the man of heaven. That's what John calls it. And Jesus doesn't consider the proper order of things, at least as the Jewish religious mind would have had everything laid out. Do you see that? Jesus meets with a Samaritan woman. He talks to her. The Samaritan woman actually goes to her Samaritan village. And what ends up happening? The whole village follows Jesus. The whole Samaritan village. These impure, unholy people all come to a belief in Jesus. Next, the government official, this horrible, nasty, ugly enemy, Roman, has an interaction. He comes 20 miles to meet with Jesus. Imagine the faith of that. And Jesus says, hey, Your son will be well. Go ahead and go home. And before he even gets home, he discovers that his son is well. And then you know what happens next? It's it's an amazing piece of scripture. The Roman enemy, horrible unbeliever, his whole family believe in Jesus. You see that? And now you have an invalid who is, the door is shut to what God has to offer him. Jesus doesn't throw him in the pool. Jesus just offers him healing. And who's upset by this? The Jewish, like, right? Like the Jewish religious elite. Like they're upset. Why? Because these people just cut in line. You got cut, you know, just, just went. Jesus goes all the way around them. And it's such an important idea. Like, like, don't be tardy to the party just means like Jesus offers life to any and all who would receive it. Like this is a huge, important message of what God is doing through Jesus and through the gospel. Villages of unclean and impure, families of the enemy, even the sick and the invalid, they receive the gift of heaven. Even though the religion of the day had told them they were somehow excluded, Jesus crosses the boundary and shares with them the good news of God, the good news of the gospel. Are you with me? You see a challenge for you in that somewhere. Um, So don't be tardy for the party. Next what happens is uh, in this interaction with this invalid beside the pool, uh, how, long had the, how long had the guy been sick? Remember? 38 years. 38 years. And Jesus comes up and he asks him a question. Uh, I think maybe I have it. It's it's verse 5. When Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, Would you like to get well? Does that strike any of you as odd? Um, it seemed like a, well, like, duh. <laughs> like, uh yeah, I've been here a long time. What kind of question is that? Um, so I've been reading this new book. All right, so a book recommendation for you. I've been reading this new book. It's it's really knocked me on my butt. It's a uh, uh, Jordan B. Peterson, Twelve Rules for Life. You guys, any of you guys ever heur- heard of this book? Uh, Andy Stanley actually recommended this book, and he took a he took a copy of the book to give to his dad, Charles Stanley. You guys know who. Anyway, uh, and Charles Stanley said, I've already read it twice. And so I was like, oh, I've got to read this book. Um, uh, Jordan B. Peterson is like this world-renowned, travels everywhere, teaches and speaker, speeches, uh, uh, speaks uh, like world-renowned psychologist. And he writes 12 Rules of Life based on like his interaction and his practice with people. And uh, uh, his, I think it's the second or third rule of life, is just take your... Pills, kids, close your ear. Just take your damn pills. Um, Don't tell my mom I said that. Um, And and Peterson, like this guy is like he has a big brain. Like it takes me a long time to get through this book. This is not a short book. Um, And he he goes into this whole like about fifty pages of. Did you know that people don't take their pills? Did you know this? So I I didn't know this, and maybe some of you in the medical field have have had this experience or or know this to be true. Um, But if a doctor writes a prescription to 100 people, a third of those people, a third of the same people with the same diagnosis, the same prescription, if a doctor writes a prescription to 100 people, a, a, th- a third of those people will actually take that prescription, they're A-type, they're going to go straight to the pharmacy, they're going to fill it, and they're going to follow the instruction, they're going to take, take the pills, just like prescribed. Another third of that 100 people may or may not get the prescription filled, they may eventually kind of get it filled, but then they won't really follow the instructions of taking the pill every day. Maybe there's a few days where they miss or they don't think about it, or maybe they stop early because they don't need it anymore. And then there's another third, and this is the most interesting third that I, didn't, I honestly didn't realize this was out there. There's a whole other third of people that when a doctor prescribes them something will not even get the prescription filled. And, and you think, okay, well, this must just be for, like, minor things like allergies or something like that. But, no, like, the research says that even people who have, like, a kidney tran- or an organ transplant, like, right, so if you have a kidney transplant and you're on dialysis, is that right? I have no is that right? Okay, yeah. I keep checking my medical view. Like, so you, you need a kidney. You're going in dialysis every day. It's this huge ordeal. You know what I'm saying? You're on the donor list, which is impossible. You know, But finally, a miracle happens. Somebody donates you a kidney. You go through the procedure. You get the new kidney. They put the kidney in you, and they give you, the doctor prescribes you very specific meds to make sure that your body doesn't somehow reject this thing, this new uh, thing that's in you, right? Like, this is a big deal for you to live and all that kind of stuff. A third will fill the prescription, a third will kind of, and a third won't fill it at all. Why is that? All right, let me expand. Let's go deeper down the wormhole. If your pet gets sick, If your dog or cat or parakeet or hamster or whatever gets sick and you take your pet to the vet and the vet says, here's the meds that your pet needs to get well, to get better. You know what research says? Research says that 99% of the time your pet is going to get the meds. What is that? What is that? Like we love our pets more than you know somebody like this, don't you? <laughs> don't you? Like you already are thinking of somebody like this. Like, um, do you know that person that would sacrifice their own life, would cut off limbs, would do anything for anyone else but for themselves wouldn't do it. Do you know that person? Don't point at them. What is that? What's the reason for that? What's the reason that maybe we know the right thing to do, but we still don't do it? The Bible has a really specific word for what that is. Well, there's lots of answers, uh, or, or lots of reasons. But one of the reasons that we don't just take our damn pills is because we seldom leave places we understand. We seldom leave places we understand, even if it's painful. You know what I'm talking about? Even if it hurts us, if it's a place that we know and is familiar and we understand it, we are more prone to stay in that place than to risk change. And that's why, like, in this story of the invalid who's waited 38 years, I think the man is really a hero. He's really a hero. Because when Jesus offers him a new life, he takes it. Imagine how scary it must have been. I mean, of course the guy wanted to get well. But imagine how scary that would have been. He lived 38 years on this mat. Like, this mat had carried him for 38 years, and now Jesus says, you carry it. Imagine how his life was go- about to change, right? Like, he could have been very content just to be a beggar, just to be in that place. You know, he would learned how to live. He knew how to survive in that place. Even though it hurt him, he already knew how to live here. And Jesus came along and says, remember what Jesus asked him, do you want to get like, ah, do you see why that's an important question? You see, I think I think there's no there's no chance of of the life that Jesus offers. I, I think I think there's no growth without change. This is something I've been preaching to our staff and to our leaders. Well, I, I think it's an important message for Aspen Grove in in the season that we're in. Um, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but uh, Kim calls me pastor. Have you guys noticed that? Some people think that's really funny. Like, Kim calls me pastor. Some of you call me pastor. I go by a lot of names. <laughs> um, when Millie was here, I was Brother Adam, because you couldn't say Cawfold. I was Brother Adam. Uh, to some, I'm a minister. Uh, I haven't been called vicar yet, but I'm I'm open. Um, my, my gamer name when I was in grad school was Reverend, the Reverend Adam. You know, like, um, I go by a lot of names, but, but pastor is it's just one of the names, and you can call me whatever you want. It's not going to hurt my feelings. Um, well, maybe, be kind. Um, but pastor is a word that's, it's derived from pasture, uh, you guys, we're in Tennessee. You know what the pasture is? The pasture is where the grass grows. The pasture is where the, the food for the animals is. And, and pasture is just derived from this word. And, and what it talks about, what it, what it hints at is that a farmer or a shepherd or someone who leads the flock out to pasture, Right? Do you you get this? Do you see this this imagery of someone that's leading the flock out to pasture? And there's an important reason for this. Because the, the pastor needs to lead the flock to new pastures. Because without the pastor, the flock might get really, really content to stay in the exact same pasture. Are you with me? They might stay too long. They might stay even to the point of that all of the grass is gone and, and they're actually, staying in this place is actually more hurtful than good. See, the pastor's job is to lead into new pastures, into new life, into growth, into change, and I, I think, I hope you see it here at Aspen Grove today, man, with, with every empty seat, I feel it, that, that our capacity is, is far greater than where we're at right now as a church. I think, I think it is. I, I think physically our building could probably handle like 300, and we're, we're less than half of that right now. I think there's potential. I think there's new life. I think there's growth out there for us. But that comes with change, right? To move into new pastures is scary and unfamiliar, maybe uncomfortable. And my question for you is Jesus' question. Would you like to get well? In Christ, we can conquer the things that for too long have conquered us. And I just remind you and challenge you that there's no growth, there's no life without change. So please just take your damn pills. Somebody's tweeting that right now, and I'm like, oh man. Finally, last point, number three. Uh, Verse, uh, yeah, number three is no days off. Uh, did I put verse 8 up there? Yeah, there it is. Awesome. So Jesus tells this invalid who's been there 38 years, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And who's upset? So the Jewish leaders began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. Uh, sometimes John's gospel is, is uh, I, I see it, but, but it's really unfair, is John's gospel sometimes accused of being anti-Semitic. Because the Jews are kind of the bad guys a lot, um, but there's a reason. So the guy that's been sick for 38 years is up and walking, and the religious leader of the community come up to him and like, "Man, great job!" No, they're, they're with bleak and black looks. What are you doing? So they had 39 different classifications of work on the Sabbath, right? Like the Sabbath is supposed to be a day of, you already know this, rest, right? And so they will... Well, what is rest? We've got to define that. They have 39 different classifications of what is not rest, of things you cannot do. And one of those classifications is is, is, uh, of carrying stuff. This goes all the way back to Nehemiah. I mean, when Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall, like he won't let the people in carrying a burden. But this is so stringent that even the rabbis talked about you could not even carry a needle in the hem of your robe or you are sinning. This makes a lot of sense, right? But Jesus replied to them in verse 17. Maybe I have that. Maybe I don't have Oh, there it is. But Jesus replied. Man, these are such important words. My father is always working and so am I. So the Sabbath came out of this, day, this idea of Genesis. If you go back and read, you know, on the seventh day, God rested, right? Like after the work of creation, he rested from creation. But Jesus reminds us of something incredibly important. He reminds us that the higher works of God, the works of judgment, the works of mercy, the works of compassion, the work of love continues on. Jesus said, even on the Sabbath, God's love and mercy and compassion act. He said, for these things that are the very nature of God, compassion for, for pity's sake. For compassion, there's no days off. And that should, be a re- that should make you warm inside. Like That should be, that should be a really good feeling. Go ahead and put that, uh, put that list up there, Lynn. Take a look at this. There's a lot more that I could have added. What I'll tell you is that just in in my short tenure at Aspen Grove, this is this is just a sample of a portion of the things that this church has had some touch with. Maybe it's inside. Maybe it's somebody we know. Maybe it's somebody you know. Um, I I've been a part of a much larger church. I actually served at a at a, at a much larger church. But but what I'll tell you is like is that Although I work for larger churches, um, I, I don't know that I've ever been part of a larger ministry. Aspen Grove, I, I think we're, we are still a small church, but we have an incredible ministry. Our small church is, is, is doing a lot with people in need. And what I would tell you is that human need must always be helped. William Barclay says, there is, no greater tra- there is no greater task than to relieve pain and distress. He says, other work may be laid aside, but the work of compassion never. He says that, that the higher works of God, of love and compassion and forgiveness, for those things, there is no day off. Jesus didn't take a day off from caring for people. And neither should we. I want to share one last verse with you and then um, uh, just review these points. A little further down, Jesus, Jesus in, in, a, in a way of summarizing, puts it this way. He says, I tell you the truth, Those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. Those who listen to my message and believe in God, even Samaritans and government officials and those who are sick or hurting, they believe in God who sent me. They received the gift of life. So don't be tardy for the party. What God offers through Christ, Jesus offers to us all. So take your damn pills. Choose the life he wants for you. And remember, there's no growth without change. And invite you to enter into the things of God, love, compassion, charity, mercy, and forgiveness. For these things, there are no days off. I'm gonna say a prayer and then invite you to join us in a time of communion and response together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word and for its challenge. Um, Let us be open open to it. Father God, move us and shake us in all the ways that, that we need to be. Let us be the church that you've called us to be. We love you. Bless us as we enter into this time of communion. Let it be a holy and sacred space for us to lay ourselves prostrate before you, to take your will on as our own. Bless us now, Father, and in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says, amen. Invite you to stand and enjoy a time of communion together.